Tonight, we discuss the latest episode of Tulsa King, then we talk the conclusion of Peripheral, and we'll take a look back at Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, 21 years later. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers! And welcome back once again to your Tuesday night home for Tulsa King. Uh, this will be the last week for the peripheral for a while. And of course, our look back at Lord of the Rings uh, just over and under 20 years later. Gentlemen, <laughs> what a week it's been. Uh, how are we all doing? How Are we ready to discuss some pop culture tonight or what? Oh, Dude, yeah. I want to. I want to open with how really pissed I am at Call of Duty. Oh, like okay. Why didn't Warzone Two port over all the skins I paid for and earned? Like you literally only ported over my currency. It's really, real simple. Really pissed me off. This it's it's real simple because you're not playing Warhammer 40k Dark Tide, and Dark Tide is where all of you should be. It's that mm. good. Fair enough. Sorry, you miss uh, you, you miss uh, misspoke Swotor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love Swotor. Uh, but anyway, Arende writes in. Good evening, good evening, Arende. Glad you good were able evening, to make Arende. it. Good to see you at the start of of the episode. Not that that's required, but I know it was a big deal for you to be here, and I'm glad you made it. Um, yeah. So this week, whew, boy, what what a. What a week for shows. Um, we'll, of course, start with, with Tulsa King. Uh, not, a, not a lot to discuss there plot-wise or super in-depth, but, but definitely a lot of plot points that did happen uh, with a lot of excitement. So, uh, Corion, you want to give the quick rundown for this quick episode? Oh, for Tulsa King? Sure. Yeah. So, we saw previously that uh, Stallone's character was getting ready to horn in on the nitrous oxide market by selling balloons at a local festival. Well, it turns out the local biker gang claims dominion over such parties and was annoyed at them getting in on their turf. Uh, on top of that, tensions at the young driver's uh, house are boiling over as they start to realize, yeah, he, he might be uh, mobbed up now. Uh, and finally, we have, uh, you know, uh, Stallone's younger brother in the show is dying of cancer. And it's giving him an opportunity to reconnect with some of his younger family, uh, like uh, with some of his family back in New York. Uh, additionally, we had the fun, fun party of uh, Stallone's character finally tracking down the guy who tried to shoot him last episode. And making it very clear, no, no, now you work for me because you don't get to leave the mob. You get to stay and be, you know, and stay in your lane. So there was a lot of cool stuff that kind of went down in this one, but it really felt like a continuation of the last episode. Um, the way I like to describe it is this is by far the least mind-blowing episode of Tulsa King yet. And yet it's still super good. 
Um, if only for the fight scene where the entire time Stallone's character has been telling everyone, no, 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 we're not going to fight the bikers. We're just going to have a nice, calm, rational discussion and get this dealt with. And then upon realizing he had a far larger team at his disposal than he thought he was going to be, he kind of decides, yeah, you know what? Let's beat the hell out of them. And beat the hell out of them they did. In what I think was probably the best choreographed fight of just like baseball bats on surprised bikers I've seen all year. Yeah, I, uh, I was very impressed with how that fight scene played out. I didn't, I didn't feel lost at any point and it didn't see, it didn't feel too jarring. You know, we're not relying on the shaky cam to, to do our storytelling for us. Um, instead, uh, sorry, we had a very negative JJ Abrams discussion at work today. So uh, <laughs> might, might make it a few quips. Uh, instead we had a really good, just straightforward, you know, balls to the wall, fists on fists or bats on fists action. Uh, the, the, the kind of stuff that, you know, you think you want to be a part of, but really you're just happy to be sitting curled up in your bed and your jammies watching through a screen. So, but, uh, no, it was, it was a great fight. It was a lot of unexpecteds that, that happened. I didn't think Dwight's father was actually going to go with him, you know, as a, as a kind of a sort of show of, well, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to go with you on this. And then after that, you know, you need well, to start no, making a is, choice. Uh... Dwight Stallone's or character. Or Dwight Stallone's character. Right, dang it, I got him confused with the kid again. Uh, what's the kid's name? I should just keep the IMDB up for this stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it was an interesting episode. I'm curious to see what happens in, in, in the next one to see how some of these stories... It looks like, uh, looks like Dwight Stallone's character is going to be pulled away for a bit. And... Uh, Oh, right. You guys don't like to do the next time on. Sorry. My mistake. Um, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Well, I mean, actually, this ne- you- this one's next time. It didn't feel like a, this is what's going to happen all next week. It kind of felt more of a one of those halfway through the season. Tyson. Huh? Tyson. That's oh. right. Tyson's dad like gets in on the fight. Like supernatural halfway through the season? Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, like coming up on the rest of the like season. Those. But I don't know. And I also feel like it's it's a logical progression that, you know, the bikers are obviously going to strike back for this. There's going to be reprisal. This is not going away. No. Well, if, if anything, it, it, I, I missed this episode, unfortunately, but the way you guys are describing it is like, finally, we're seeing why the mob, A, saw potential, and B, is like sending Tulsa somebody that's a heavy hitter like one of the things that someone's character hasn't lost is being a really hardcore like mafioso he's not just like the kind of guy that has gotten soft with the times because like he didn't even know about phones when he was asking tyson for a device that could search anything he wanted in the first episode and now like we finally see the other gang like the other part, the opposite of the mob, and like the police aren't the opposite of the mob. The opposite of the mob is like the American version of the Italian version. Well, I mean, from the episode, you get the impression that the guy who's running the the bikers, um, it has definitely got an Irish mob mentality to him as well. So we'll we'll see how this all goes down, but it definitely feels like a one of the 
one of the people is going to be sent to the hospital and the response is going to be somebody's getting sent to the morgue. It, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting to uh, to watch, yeah, to, to see how the how quickly they, they got in here, how quickly they fought the bikers. And then to think kind of in the back of my mind going, man, what's the response to this going to even be like? <laughs> like, I'm a little scared right now because because bikers, I mean, granted, these guys seem like, you know, uh, fanboy hell, hell's angels or fanboy sons of anarchy. I mean, that's how they come off. I, I don't I don't think they're genuine, you know, hard shit at all uh, by any stretch. But it's I don't know, because as I'm watching the fight, I'm thinking, well, the whole reason that Stallone's character ended up behind bars for 25 years was because he took the fall for somebody else murdering. So that tells me that in these kinds of engagements in the in the real world, which kind of seems like what this show's trying to go for, not not like Sopranos. Oh, we could just kill 30 people and we're fine because we're we have plot armor. It seems like they're really trying to, to not cause you to to reach down for your suspension of disbelief that they're trying to make this a believable story and so that's why you know instead of like swords and guns they bring bats to just beat them up so it seems like when when you decide to actually kill somebody in this particular universe it's kind of treated the same as it would be in real life and that that's not a risk you take unless it's like absolutely necessary and with it being 2022, it's almost impossible these days to get away with murder, especially in, in public like that. So, I... Well, that's why the, the ATF agent is going to be an interesting player in this very, very shortly. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we are getting to the point where at this point, I feel like the players have been firmly established. We know what everybody's stakes in things are now. Now it's going to turn into what this show is actually going to be about. Yeah, that's that's kind of my impressions as well at this point, is, is that we, we are now... that This was... We talked about a little earlier. This was like not really a progression of major plot points, but there were still some important things that, that happened and it was just kind of, it was a filler episode that didn't quite feel totally like a filler episode. So mm-hmm. that's, that's my thoughts on it. But overall, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but I think, uh, I think since we got a lot to discuss about with the peripheral, unless there's any final thoughts here, I think it's probably time to move Yeah, let's on. go. Um, if I can get everything. So female from Randy. Meh, I prefer Val. Uh, Valheim Mistland. Mistlands looks so good. Yeah, I've got to decide to boil down at some point and get back into Valheim and, and build up from scratch. Um, last time I, I played, um, geez, uh, the planes were brand new, and uh, we just finally got like the cold mechanics of the mountains really squared away. So I think it's time I go venture back into the realm of Valheim. I just need a couple of good Vikings to go with me and, uh, you know, sing glorious songs as we beat the hell out of some trolls. Yeah, that sounds like something we should do for a casual filth. Uh, probably eventually. <laughs> when, when we all can... <laughs> One day when I get a computer. When, yeah, yeah. When, I'm have to when, wait till spring. When the, uh, yeah, when the console gamer finally ascends... 
We'll yes to, to join the master race. The PC my coming master of race. age yeah. is coming. I know you'll yeah. finally be on a grown-up console after you know so many years. I'm proud of you. Well, I will be. Uh, right now, I'm <laughs> still disappointed. Like our dad is disappointed in both of us. Anyway, um, <laughs> as he should be. Yeah. Uh, the peripheral. I called it. I knew that this was... I had a feeling that we were going to get a cliffhanger ending. That seems to be the trend this year. Uh, That seems to be the way that serialized shows are going, is they're just going to assume that if people like it enough, then they'll watch it. And if not, then uh, nobody gets an ending, which, you know, this day and age, I kind of can't doubt the strategy anymore because maybe five or six years ago, yeah, ending a cliffhanger would would be a bit of a risk-taking maneuver season two or three maneuver but we're at the point now where where everyone basically expects shows in the form of giant movies and if you're going to do a show in the giant in a giant movie format like this then uh you know you might as well just go for go for broke um but i don't i'm pretty sure we are going to see a peripheral season two um I, i mean i thought this show was fantastic huge huge uh uh I don't know where I'm going with that thought. I wanted to say well, it was I, a I, really good, uh, really high standards for sci-fi. Yeah, and I was yeah. actually going to say there are some very powerful people in the background pulling for this show. So with any oh. luck, we're going to get a second season. Uh, hopefully. And and I would also go so far as to say you're slightly off, Parker, because this is one of the shows where it wrapped up the timeline. Like, with the removal of Flynn in the timeline, now the whole story is different in season two. So it it did finish season one, cleaned that whole card so season two can start fresh, except for 2109 or 2100. And I think that's the, the wild part about the whole twist for this episode. Is, as it was as it was finishing and drawing to an end, I was just so nervous for the cliffhanger to come. But it was like a double entendre cliffhanger. And I have to go back and rewatch, but I don't know if you guys noticed, there's end credit scenes. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I stayed all, for... Corian? The only thing I stayed for was yeah. the next time on the peripheral, but... Oh, so there was... I don't know if there was a next time on the peripheral for every episode... Because I, I, I always get worried about that. But this episode, it ended with a whole extra five minutes. I was watching, like, the credits, and it was, like, five. It, I noticed it was way too long for the credits to start. So I was about to turn it off. And then, like, I was just skipped to the scene. And it's a whole end with Lev, the klept dude, uh, meeting his bosses. And it turns out that the klept is Russian mob. Yeah. And that was like the tease for season two, but also just this whole, like I said, just a clean, this season is done. Everybody you met in this season isn't going to be the same, even the main character, because it's a younger Flynn. Well, I mean, when you consider this, um, I don't know if any of you guys have played one of those games where you play through a set period of time. It's like a ocarina of time. You play through a set period of time, and then you rewind back to the beginning of it. But you have more information on how to proceed. 
that feels like what the peripheral is basically doing is we are getting a rewind and then we're going to start this whole process again with more information. I think the end goal of this is going to be to find a way to avoid the jackpot and provide a future without any of those calamities. And I'm willing to bet if this got like a seven season run like it should, that would be the plot line is every every season they eliminate one point of the catastrophe in the system. Yeah, and also I don't think that it was a younger Flynn that went into the future because the way she was talking, it sounds like it's actually, it's the one that we've been with the entire time. It's just in that timeline, in order for her consciousness to be transferred with the data, I think she needed her body to die in the process, but something was set up no, for the, her to wake the death up of the, the body, The death of the body was the R.I. Like, the, or not, yeah, it was to evade the R.I. Why come after Flynn and her family if Flynn's dead? Yeah. And why right. look for Flynn if Flynn, like, you can't go after that Flynn and get the information for which year she went to, because only Flynn went back in time. And she went to 2032. It was on the dial. That was the year she picked. And we start this episode or the season in 2036. That's why I'm for sure that it was younger. Is the the time zone she chose was 2032. I thought the show started in 2032. 2036. And there was the 2032 scene, which was the uh, implants in the Marines. So my thinking is they went back right, or she tried to go back as close to the Texas invasion as possible so that she can save um, the paraplegic dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that like according to the timeline that I see in my head based off of all the data that I had. Okay, then you might want to with. double check because I thought the Texas thing happened in 2028. Mm-hmm. Now for the record, when... I think so. Well, Zapatos think... looks at his timeline. What it actually is, is a cardboard, or, or sorry, a corkboard setup with a whole bunch of pictures and a bunch of red string everywhere. And this is how I know that uh, Corion's a bullshit viewer into the uh, astral projection because it's uh, clearly sticky nuts. Ah. Dumbass. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's a timeline sitting above my head right now. <laughs> No, no, because yeah, I thought it took. I thought the main. Yeah, I I thought 2032 was our main timeline, and then 2028 was where they got the was where the the Texas War occurred, whatever that was about, and then in uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I knew I should have researched it. Was 2036, but I'll double check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to, you want to check on that because uh, I'm pretty sure that what happened was she actually did go to the future. She's just there permanently for now until something gets established you know to where she can go back to the other timeline that she changed and and it's i i I, or did they say and confirm that the jackpot was on course with that timeline anyway and that's why everybody's screwed it it, it's not that it's on course and screwed because of the timeline it's not course and screwed because the ri owns the stub what they did their whole plan was to send the stuff that's in her head back to herself uh, earlier and it looked like 2032 is when they picked in the episode or in the final episode I'm opening episode one now in my ear but then <laughs> what they were doing was 
the same way that Alita contacted her in 2036, she contacted herself in 2032 and started the whole 2032 process with the uh, the the police team mm -hmm. uh, rather than with the cleft or rather than with the RI and the RI knows that she did this but they don't know when she did it they don't know where she sent herself the information right. and they can't track it in any way and her doing this creates its own stub that until they find the start of that stub they have to sift through all of the dates until they like find the exact information that delineates the three timelines because as we have finally figured out there are only three concurrent timelines at the end of episode one or season one so far season yeah. one because that's like we have the one like so flynn's initial 2036 let me find that time real quick uh I'm gonna find it. You get, yeah, yeah. So, oh, you have a thought, Corian? Go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. Well, I'm I'm just skimming over this uh, to, just to make sure we're on the same page with the with the. Found it. Here. It was 2032. She went right back to herself before Alita. Yeah, because she was talking about a she was talking about a reset. But I think what she did, mm -hmm. based off of the, this article from CNET here, is that she she does want to go. She basically picked a time to go back to her older self. And so it's still the same Flynn, but it's just at some point she has she ends up resetting, but she still has to die in the timeline we're used to because that's right, where so, the IRI needs to stop finding her. Right. So the, we've got the 2109 timeline, then we've got the original 2032, and I just found it, it was 2032 that this started. So it's, she probably literally went right back to after meeting Alita. Like, when she yeah. already had the headset. Yeah. Well, like I said, so, this is the plot to Majora's Mask. We're just going back the next, like, yeah. through the timeline again. Here, I'll just I'll just uh, read off of this article, because it seems we did need to do a little bit more research on it, but that's okay. Here, I'll share it in the chat. We can all just go over this together in real time, because why not? Let's shake it up this week. We don't... I realize our episodes don't have to progress all the same way every single time. We're not that boring of a show i would think um yeah, and that's why i opened with just a gripe that had been pissing me off all morning and that's totally fine we could totally do that i would have given you the whole camera if you wanted to well, keep pop going culture but, gripe. but that was the, the yeah a pop culture gripe. yeah we're, a, we're movies games video. shows and books we're storytelling is basically that's our thing so that, i could really just sum it up to that we talk about storytelling it's whether it's a game book movie show something you set around a campfire uh some kind of crazy lullaby that Arende whispers to his bees, whatever. Um, we support it. Insert Galenda's hobby of choice that I know she's probably told me about and can't remember here. Um, so yeah, all right. So from this article, it says, why does Flynn technically kill herself? From the very first episode, the, the RI uh, had a hit put on Flynn simply because she'd seen too much thanks to the little sim game and the mysterious Alita setup. All right, we all know that. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead. Yet Flynn comes up with the ingenious plan to save herself in her town, even if it looks like she's out of the picture. In future London, she has Inspector Lowbeer. Oh, that, that's how you spell the name. Bear. Nice. What? Yeah, is it pronounced Lowbeer? Low no, yeah. I think it's Lowbeer, but I just kept seeing it on my 
Amazon subtitles as low be- or low bear. Weird. <laughs> it might have it spelled wrong in this one. I don't know. Low beer sounds like a pretty cool name. That's a better way to call a light beer. No, it's a low beer. Um, <laughs> Spectre low beer had her lead her to her stub portal, which we saw. That's where she does the thing. Uh, when she can create a new connection with her body in the past, she convinces Dr. Newland that she's escaped for good by crushing the coordinates a, uh, a fancy antique looking watch or antique looking watch antique and wakes up back in the f- uh, mountain town of Clanton, North Carolina, a reboot that creates a new splinter timeline or stub one Dr. Newland won't easily be able to get her hands on because this dooms her old unpiloted body to die from malnourishment while attached to the headset. Flynn decides to turn this condemned self into an opportunity. She has Connor shoot her to get Dr. Newland off their backs and to look like a favor from Inspector Lobier and Dr. Newland or to Dr. Newland so that Newland believes the inspector is an ally. Flynn then wakes up in future which are yeah, that's what I caught on to. Flynn wakes up in future London where she and Lobier reunite. Now they can begin working on their master plan, accessing the world saving data on Flynn's brain that will help them prevent the jackpot apocalypse. Alright, the end or that end switch is where things become Westworld level tricky. Because of the show's editing, it looks like the consciousness of the dead Flynn has been transferred to Flynn's peripheral. However, the past Flynn died without wearing a headset. The way this is possible might be that because Flynn created a new base stub, she was only a pilot in her old body. When it died, she returned to her new stub. Then from there, still wearing the headset, she could jump into her future peripheral. Good luck deciphering all that. Okay, so it is confusing. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> so, I, I feel like the, the confusing part is different than what that article really... Because none of that was explained in the show. So there's no like show data to explain that. Except for the scenes that matched up and I think the part that makes it so that, that the, the difference with that article versus what really happened was the part where the person that came up with the plan still had to be the dead Flynn but because she went back in time she like my theory is that maybe she only went back like three weeks like right after Alita so she still had all the information, but then only kind of changed stuff up, but then like wasn't very far. Like she wasn't like, oh my God, my future self, what do you mean the future? And like had to have a six week long discussion about it. Instead it was like, no, I'm he- I'm healed from like next week and this is what happens in that week. We got to do this all differently. And so that Flynn just walked off and died because she knew she had to do that. And all that part about the article, setting it up, helping Lobier, all that connects, like dot, dot, dot. But why that person died, I don't think it was an operated sim. I think that was legit. The new, the, the old newest version, because she's two weeks ahead of the old week, the older newest version of Flynn had to still die to make it look like Flynn was now out of the picture. Well, so it, apparently the body was just going to die sitting lifeless anyway and un, unconscious because of, of I guess she can move her consciousness around now or, or maybe that's maybe the headset well, that's what I'm saying, is, is more my theory is she went back to herself told herself everything through the little bead thing in the 2100 where like they can actually download memories 
right? You just turn it up to listen to them closer and you can hear their memories. And there's that whole scene with uh, her and the 2100 black dude, uh, Wolf. And Wolf, uh, like, help, they find his old house because they share memories. So there was that little taste there. So my thinking is she literally went back to herself in 20, like, it's like a weird jump. So like she went back to the first time she got to 2100 and downloaded all that stuff to this, the uh, peripheral, but then sent all of that information back even further to 2032, probably like two weeks earlier or you know the beginning of the season one. And so season two will be season one again with all of season one's information starting yeah. completely over again. Like that was the kind of circle that I thought they did. It's a very yeah, small it, loop, but it literally just resets everything in 2032, not in 2100. Yeah, it, it's it's the Majora's Mask effect. We're getting a reset back to your version, like where the game started, but you now have the information that you acquired on the first run through. So you yeah. know the most you, it, efficient new game plus. To do things. Yeah, it's new game plus. New game plus. That's what it feels like. That's what I thought. That makes way more sense that that's because the RI had already initiated all the steps necessary for the nuclear jackpot, which wasn't supposed to be until the third phase of the jackpot or the third jackpot. Right, so but it got accelerated. Had, so that that's Okay, so that's where the stub is. Is The stub is literally just right back to before they found out Flynn knew everything. Well, we don't know that. It, it just, all we know is that it's an right, it's a right. stub off of a stub. Well, no, that that's what I mean, though, is like, because she chose 2032 and it started at 2032, it's probably literally within weeks of her initially getting the headset in episode one of season one. Yeah, so I mean, at some point, we're going to have to start calling 2100 the Stub Hub. But until then. <laughs> I mean, that is where all the stubs originate. No, this is uh, this is good. This is causing us to actually have to really scratch our brains here. Because, yeah, it kind of it kind of left it me worked. in a bit of a head scratcher. And and it's well, everything leading up until the end of this season was it was masterfully done. And I mean, even this this ending for as crazy as it is to try to understand I mean, I'm ready for season two. Like, yeah, I'm, like I'm, it, I'm ready for more. A, like, it's a lot to unpack, but it's not a bad unpack, right? No, so. not even in the slightest. It's actually really cool because if you think about it, 2100 is still progressing. That through line hasn't changed. Every All those players are still aware of all the magic. They're still trying to fight for their own country and man, like person and all that stuff. Like, their society whether it's the clept the the police or the ri they're all fighting for their country and then 2032 is reset back but only far enough that like they don't have to get a whole new flynn all the way up to date and they don't have to get a whole new burton all the way up to date instead they're like no we, we're gonna mess with the weeks and, and that's like that new game plus of 2032 only because like they need the RI to think they went further back. They need the RI to spin up other stubs to try and find them and like trying to save Burton, trying to save the other guy. 
And that's like the misleading fact is like, no, we, because the whole mom thing, like Flynn's smart enough to know that like, that's what they think is gonna be the determining factor as to how far back she goes is because her mom needs to be saved. And I think Flynn was like, that's what they're gonna think. So I'm gonna deceive them by going, no, my mom's still gonna die in 27 days. Yeah, so Screen Rant seems to agree with you on on that this is a parallel Flynn, which is definitely possible. So it seems that I, I think we're going to need to – I think we're just going to need to wait and see what Season 2 says because uh, it Demand seems like it's – Hashtag renew peripheral. I think peripherals already slated. Let's check the IMDB since, you know, it's super reliable. Uh I've only been waiting for Italian Job 2 since 2004, and IMDb says it's coming soon. Well, hey, you man, know... I've been waiting for a decent sequel to the Transformers movie since 1985, so uh, I feel you, brother. <laughs> yep, and Christians have been waiting for Jesus for a lot longer, so, you know, the word yeah, soon is just... It's really not as... It's really just not a great word to describe there, anything. There, there's really three versions of soon. <laughs> There's the soon that you tell somebody when you need, when you just need five minutes. There's the parent talking to the kids soon, which could be any week now. And then there's like Microsoft releasing a new game soon, right? <laughs> there's Skyrim Six. Yeah, like Elden Ring. Uh, yeah, Elden Ring forever soon, right? Uh. <laughs> Well, GTA we don't know 6, about... So. Uh, yeah, yeah, GTA 6. Well, GTA 6, we actually finally have some progress on. But you know what we don't have progress on? Half-Life 3. Um, yeah. So... Oh, <laughs> yeah, and Scrolls. Randy's like, you forgot Blizzard soon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Blizzard soon is another textbook example of this, right? Uh, I need context. Uh, for StarCraft 3, the will never happen. Or I wanted World know. of Starcraft. Uh, you know, if you want World of Starcraft, there's this beautiful universe called Warhammer. Uh, it's really fantastic. I highly recommend it. According yeah. to Band Sided, no. no news is good news. Peripheral has not been cancelled, but it also hasn't been renewed. Oh great. It's, it's getting the Orville treatment right now. Awesome. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta but wait. Well, Amazon has been a lot better about this. Like uh, I haven't heard anything about Reacher getting a new season or Terminalist, but I assume both of them are on, like, ready for it. What what is Terminalist season two gonna be? Did well, the or books. did you not? You the didn't read the book yet, did you? Books. No, oh. but the author wrote way more books. Oh wait, did he write so, more Terminalist books? I can't remember. Oh. I want to say it's. I, I mean, so. the, I think, even the first I book think, like, with its basically James Reese is like a different version of Reacher with less time. So I got any book he could just uh, get game. You should probably should probably actually read the book all the way through to the end. There, there oh. There's a little tidbit at the end of the book that kind of confirms that uh, James Reese's uh, terminal diagnosis was a little premature. Um, but they don't That's really touch on that no, in the show. It seems like. Well, no, it seems like they kind of did, but, you, like, in the first couple episodes and just gaffed it off. Like, they're like, no, this has all been fake. And then never said if that was true or not. 
But oh, I definitely yeah, want more. Reacher got renewed. Re- Reacher has been renewed. All right, awesome. I'll have to read that second book too. Ooh. That that one I did enjoy reading the book first. Um, that that was yeah. basically the the production for Reacher was amazing because it was basically like a live action book. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited for that one. I'll probably read the book before. Um, yeah, and I, I think I'm gonna have to pick up the peripheral book. Uh, over the Christmas break. Oh yeah, no. But uh, I think we should definitely get the book done before season two comes out, so we can see. Because uh, I've heard from a I couple of other realize. people that have mentioned it that that on other channels that have said apparently the the show does diverge from the book. So what's up? We got Terminalist wait, wait, too. Who said that about Reacher? Reacher? No. No, peripheral. no. We're talking oh. peripheral. Peripheral. But oh, okay. that's okay. But that's okay because it's just two different two... subs, right? Yeah. Exactly. But Terminal <laughs> Season 2, Chris Pratt was recently quoted saying, uh, as of November or as of September, to the rabid fans of Terminalist out there, you have nothing to worry about. So it hasn't been renewed, but I think that's negotiations reasons. Yeah. But Season 2 of Reacher, yeah. No, for me, Reacher, the show, is constantly the test of Amazon's ability or whoever produced Reacher um, ability to maintain respect for the Childs because I've been reading all of the books in a row and like I'm, I want to say I'm all the way caught up I might be like two or three insert books missing but like I, I really am excited for that Reacher to continue and Peripheral too though there's so much good yeah. No, we're. Somebody want to take uh, that fan mail? Arende seems very. Uh, seems, I, seems very this. particular about this, but go ahead. I, I've got this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it in in my my like legal eagle voice here. I hope you guys are ready. Soon, copyright 2004, 2022, Blizzard Entertainment Inc. All rights reserved. Soon does not imply any particular date, time, decade, century, or millennia in the past, present, or certainly not the future. Soon shall make no contract or warranty between Blizzard Entertainment and the end user. Soon will not arrive someday. Blizzard does not guarantee that soon will be here before the end of time. Do not make any plans based on soon, as Blizzard will not be liable for any use, misuse, or even casual glancing at soon. And there we go. Honestly, though, I feel like that is just a great way to get rid of, like, the naggy Nancys. But then if you keep using that after your soon does start to reach decades, like, <laughs> no, they were right. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. my I can understand why Blizzard has this attitude because they literally did face a group of barely you know barely contained rabid fans that literally labeled themselves as operation CWAL or can't wait any longer that started an active campaign of harassing the studio to get a new game made so i understand why they would put down a a libel setup like this I, okay contract yes but to me that's how you go to like investors and be like you guys aren't sure if this game is wanted here's the hate mail for us taking too long yeah uh arende clarifies that's a meme started by the players and someone made a legalese version of the meme 
nice. I, I still love makes it. sense though. Yeah, no, I mean that's totally something they probably copy and paste on their website anyway because they're like, well, it technically covers everything. So all right, well, well, throw it on. on there. Old school Blizzard would do that. New Activision Blizzard, Microsoft. Or... Yeah. Microsoft, Activision, yeah. Like I, I, I don't know if they're they've got the sense of humor that they once had. Which yeah, is okay, really okay, 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 guys, guys, um, dear big corporations, the the media, the 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 acquisition of media by six companies, that's that's not a good idea with games, okay? Because because we're we're not we're only gonna do game as a service for so long before we get tired of that shit. And and you got to think of some other scam to get our money. No, otherwise, the service the, works if you it, actually service. I'm, right, exactly. <laughs> now imagine if they get a freaking oligopoly on all the gaming, then we're gonna have garbage forever. That's why we have garbage now in movies and in whatnot because the competition yeah. got thin for a little while. I don't, I don't get why Microsoft isn't embracing more of the Netflix model where like they are a permanent investor in these production companies with a little bit more like say in what gets produced but that's about it like that right. way the production companies can feel like gamers making games and always feel like the money's going to be coming because microsoft's making the actual transaction part possible but like if if microsoft acts like a gatekeeper to product development for actual games that's like having the hall monitor try to tell you what's a cool drawing like my mom says you can't draw the devil so bad drawing all right here's i i want to grab the mic here for a few minutes because i've got a little bit of a video game rant and I want to explain why I feel the way I do here i'm, I'm gonna get this right eventually i just need to imagine that Corion's sitting next to me so and, yeah. uh, and and down there, where he belongs, is John, beneath me. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So, well, he's lifting us up. He's raising us up. That's what he does best. That's what there restoring respect in discourse is about, is raising up your opposition. There you go. All right. So, look. The reason why Microsoft is able to do what it what it's doing, where it's buying up studios like their Infinity Gems, is because... They had, they should go under them and bring them in house. This is a good plan, but I want oh, to present on. You, you phase cut out. two, and it is the one thing. You cut out for a second. Try, try. Start oh, okay, over. so we're. And there you go right. again. So it looks like Microsoft, Microsoft really doesn't want you to talk about this. <laughs> oh God. Okay, so. What they did was they started buying studios up like Infinity Gems to, to, you know, control their IP. There is one thing that I think they need to do next. And it is also the one thing that Games Workshop that is, has done that is actually good in the last 10 years. Okay? And it's this. They chopped up their IP. Games Workshop chopped up their IP and gave it like sections of it to 20 different studios and let those 20 different studios produce games in their game world but like only small sections of it to see what they did with it now the reason why this was good was because everybody got a little chunk of game and if they did good they got a bigger chunk of the universe to work with and if their game sucked it didn't sell 
they got rid of that developer. This is what Microsoft needs to do. They need to grab 30 indie development houses and give them, like, the Fable franchise or Syndicate or Dungeon Keeper. Some of the IPs that they've more or less ignored for ages and let them do something with it and then put it out and if those little companies make money at those games then they get access to better IPs but like for example no one gets access to Halo until they can prove themselves with some of the lower tier IPs and can prove that they can make a really solid game then they get to play with the big boys I mean that's a cool idea but I mean at this point if you've managed to produce a game that was successful you can have Halo at this point (laughs) but to me I think the faster more efficient method to this is stop hiring people for jobs and, and instead hire them for roles like I need somebody that wants to build fantasy realms Oh, which fantasy realms are you building? Fantasy realms. And then from there, you have game writers, game narrative designers, game designers. Then they start picking the people that best represent the vision they intend to create. And so managers pick teams. Teams are glued to managers. And then that product comes out. And then from there, all the other managers can steal from that team because they're just a team of people now. And they can move like water through these IPs. And I think like taking Corion's idea and just making it more like managers, six like the more successful manager, the more valuable IP you get to manage. But the team you pick is completely up to you when you take that IP on. So you're not always going to bring your fantasy over to your sci-fi, over to your realism. Because sometimes those sci-fi designers are only good at sci-fi. They're never going to figure out how to do a sword swing. And sometimes the sword swing only ever wants to do the sword swing. So I think that like, if you let the designers design and you let the managers manage, you're more likely to get better products because some people are designed to manage. I know that's like yeah. something that and, I've spent and maybe, years training in. That and, is, you know, may, maybe have, like, oh, I don't know. That is actually the Valve design system. Yeah. Mm. That's probably why it was successful then. Well, it's like Valve Steam. That's why it's all working. Mm-hmm. They, like, they went, like... Well, the Valve, problem I think is, it, it is, also is leads the... to... What's that? I was going to say, it also... it's great, but until you realize that they can't make a third uh, game in any of their trilogies. <laughs> So you get at least two games, but, okay. two really great games, and then a, a lifetime of sorrow and regret. But anyway, but I put that, yeah. I put that on writers, or a and, lifetime. And I of also wanting, put rather. that, I put that on writers not taking the Tolkien method to games, which is like create your universe and your lore, and then write your story. So that way, as the story gets longer, bigger, or different. It always has somewhere to belong, and it doesn't feel like story three has to be this rise in escalation that's entirely unbelievable and will destroy all fan love. Or it has to be this whole shift that ruins like people's enjoyment of the system. Instead, like 
write something that can always be added to because you have ways of adding to it. And I think that's where like you know, Valve and I think, I think it's more of a narrative failure than it is like an entire company failure. You know, speaking of Lord of the Rings, I think we just got a really good transition. Uh, yeah. 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 So if you're not like me and you decided to suffer through rings of power for whatever reason, uh, we decided to help you over that burden with, uh, by watching Frodo take the burden for you. And, uh, and, and and we are, yeah, we, we are instead of, we are now watching Lord of the Rings Mm. for the month of December. Um, of course. We are hosting a watch along of Lord of the Rings for December. Right. Um, we are the hosts. We'll take the burdens. If you ever, if anybody asks you why you're watching it, oh, I'm just watching it to join the Ryder Brothers. Yeah. Join the discussion, um, and, and, and contribute, which is what we do here. We're all about, we're all about sharing ideas regardless of, of where they might come Anything. from. Well, no, no, like you no, are no, the no. culture. It's a very, very few. Okay, yes, we're pretty much all open to all pop culture ideas. Now, there, there's that's very, what, very few the times. Brothers, that's what we discussed. There's very few times and very few topics that that will jump on and say no, and we're gonna. Our method is instead of telling you what those are, we'll just wait till you stumble upon them because there's a good chance that if you're a decent, law-abiding citizen, you're not gonna stumble into those topics. So, it's all good. But yes, we are more or less a conduit of information of just about all ideas. Is is that why... Wait a minute. No, no. Let, let's be clear. You two are the decent law-abiding ones. And I just avoid bringing up the ones I know you guys are going to say no to when we carry on from there. <laughs> no, I, I just... I don't think... No, yeah, I, I guess. I just don't want to say that the threshold is as low as it is. Right. For me personally, so I just don't ever say you're getting close. Yeah, no. Well, it's I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, guys. Um, for the April 1st show, I've got something for us to review just because I want to see if I can make somebody's eyes bug out of their sockets. Well, I look I look forward to it. Um, Arende says, Rings of Power? Isn't that the best thing next to Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, no, I also read a stupid yeah, project I mean, declarative yeah. article about how it's better than, than Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or, or how the Galadriel in, in Rings of Power was more accurate. And I'm like, wow. I mean, if you compare it to the source of funding, basically a queen did pay for Rings of Power. Like, if Jeff Bezos isn't a king, I don't, or a queen, I don't know what it is. Uh, see, I would have actually acquitted Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos to Smaug, but, uh, you know, I would have spent because, m- like, he does pile spend of gold. his money. Yeah. yeah, but he does spend it, you know, like, rewriting Belgium laws and architecture so that he can fit his boat out. Like, did nobody think that that was going to be an issue and they couldn't just build it on the other side of the harbor? Like, he could have paid for an entire factory to be built on the other side. He's a yeah. queen. Yeah. He'll, he'll he is a he right is a through diva. your nation's I mean, laws, whatever he wants. Did you see the design of his freaking rocket? That, that thing's a penis, okay? 
that that's He's not mince enough. words. Like that's not a that that's not. You know, I get that rockets, you know, they all have that phallic shape because, well, that's how they function. That's how they most efficiently get to space. This might come as a shock, but the space shuttle with its um, rocket boosters, not very aerodynamic. Um, whereas, you know, an actual rocket type device wait, that... Wait, actually, that that's completely counterintuitive. It's 100% aerodynamic. That's why it was designed that way, so that it can re-enter and land in the air. Right. A space, a rocket ship is trying to literally project itself like an arrow through like, isn't it like 14 miles? Four, like uh, 20, how many miles? 26, 26 miles. miles of air. It has to cut, so it's supposed to be. I thought it was sixty. Relatively pumped or pointed, depending on where you stand, I guess. It, it also depends on where you view the start of space. The start of space can be a little nebulous, depending on what what your definition yeah. of space is. Arende says that's an Austin listened. Powers rocket. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to agree with well, that. Well, I mean, let's let's be clear. Bezos is bald, right? He has mentioned he likes cats. And he has a phallic rocket. He's one scar away from Doctor Evil. And so, are you also... saying he has a twin brother with hair? <laughs> who's in like, who's in and yeah, <laughs> who's and in MI five? Like son. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, well, no. So like the rocket thing that I, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson explained it. He didn't. If you were to take the planet of the earth and take the ratio of the planet as a standard schoolroom globe that like spins around and put a dime on it that's how far he went it's either one dime or two dimes outside of the like earth which was still technically borderline in earth uh, because it was literally like two dimes a- worth of space actually it, if, if you really want to get technical if you want to get technical distance Earth's atmosphere actually extends well past the moon. It's been discovered. As it, as it turns out, our atmosphere is constantly outputting and expanding. And so, no, you can't breathe on well, the moon. it's absorbing. But it's, it's... It's taking whatever space dust it can. Well, it's just pushing out. gravitational retouch. Well, and I, I think it's not with like that attitude, you can't breathe on the moon. At all times, but with air. Right, it's just that easy. You just, you just gotta believe. Um, there you go. Yeah, no, it's it's the, the thing about it, and I don't know how we're talking about rockets with Lord of the Rings, but here we are. Um, you know, the thing about it is, is like I said, it's not a, a, the shuttle launching into space is not as efficient as a rocket. That's why the program was eventually decommissioned because the rocket is far more efficient than than a shuttle mounted on a rocket. Um, right. Well, that's where Tesla comes in is the idea that well, he can the land. The reason a it doesn't. Exactly. The reason it's not cost efficient is because the shuttle is saved, but the most expensive portion of the rocket that got the shuttle to space is just dropped wherever it can get dropped. And now SpaceX has developed a catch system, two separate catch systems, which is like insanely impressive. Well, it's not even Borderline... just a catch system. Some of it is it's entirely self-landing. We, we actually have ships no. that can take off and land from Earth now. So that's one catch system is it can catch itself. The right. second catch system is he's developed. I don't know if it's done yet or if it's still in production, but he's developing a way to have barges in the ocean that are geolinked 
to the rocket so that if the rocket falls into the ocean, he can catch it on the barge and save it. So that's two separate catch systems. Yep. Arende writes in, uh, Carmen line is the edge of space generally considered 100 kilometers or 62 miles. There we go. Arende with the knowledge bomb. Um, There you go. I love when this show turns educational. Getting back to Lord of the Rings, though. Um, Yes, now back to fantasy. Enough class for one day. It's time to daydream. Um, Lord of the Rings is a book I have not read yet. It's a book I'm not ready to read just yet. I've got a few more books I'd probably like to put under my belt before I tackle this juggernaut of a story. Um, However, I first saw Lord of the Rings in the theater, uh, well, coming up on 21 years ago now, because it came out in, I want to say December 13th. Oh, wait, it was say on the poster, but the poster's too small to read. Um... So, 21 years later, uh, 21 years on, the movie is starting to show its age a little bit. Uh, the CGI was great for its time. If they came out with a special edition touch-up on the CGI, I personally wouldn't be mad because on the other side of it, the timeless quality of the movie that still stands out and is oh so perfect is all the use of practical effects. Guys... We are 20 years, 21 years specifically on since the Fellowship of the Ring, and the jury is, is clearly decided on pr- the use of practical effects in filmmaking. There's just no comparison. Um, we have 3D printers. You have no excuse. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right on the money, John. Um there, there really is it because, oh yeah, that was like a, a good chunk of the budget from what I remember from watching the um, special, <laughs> the special features. Man, do you guys remember when you used to watch special features on DVDs? <laughs> Dude, you guys remember when your remote was more than seven yeah. buttons? Yeah. Oh, well, mine still well, is. Well, do you guys want um, to see what I've been producing on my 3D printer lately? Sure. An orc. Or troll. Oh, troll. Troll, yeah. But I mean, if I can produce that at home with my crappy setup, guys, y- you can print ministers. Yeah, you can pay yeah. somebody who does this as a job do it for you. You have the budget. Yeah, exactly. No, um, I, you, I, you can port Blender files, and and most people use Blender for animation because it's the free one. So like pretty sure the top tier uh i want to say houdini is the most used in film right now pretty sure houdini Probably. files port as well i, I yeah. even know adobe files port i personally use adobe for where i do my sketches and i port them to blender for my actual 3d meshes and then blender ports to freaking 3d printer software so no excuse yeah i don't even work in any of these industries or fields and i know all of that so no yep. Uh, Skogliotin writes in beer, friends. Beer to you, buddy. Um, and uh, Arende says, uh, oh wait, I think that's a cheers icon. But hey, I prefer beer over yeah. cheers. Um, we'll actually get to cheers in a minute. Uh, Arende says, that's obviously a resin printer. Uh, filament is rather bad at making things look like, or things like a mini. Things like a mini. I did some cool beehive, or did a cool beehive though. Nice. Well, that's pretty. Oh, yeah. do your bees um, actually live in it? Yeah, they they would. Um, some of the three D printed beehives look awesome. Yes, I am using a resin printer. Um, 
filament i find is better for larger projects like like a beehive uh and resin printers are better for what i'm doing which is cool little pieces that look awesome when you set them up right um I think he was just bringing that up more to. Yeah, yeah I think he was bringing that up more to say which one he's using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> you know, your tiny model beehive. Now you know how to make the big beehive. Um, yeah, it, it, I just this this I, I actually kind of like that the CG. It it gives the it gives the movie some some wrinkles, but it, like I said, it, it really shows that. It, it makes a difference when you use practical effects. I mean, one of the reasons I, I, you know, being a more objective person, you know, you can't let your bias get in, so I, I'll probably be praising Star Wars Farce Awakens till the day I die for its masterful blend of practical and digital effects, and it did a very good job of blending them. I mean, you, you know, bad story, absolutely. Garbage characters all around, even using the legacy characters, they, they didn't do them justice. But man, did the movie look pretty. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not good enough for us here at the Ryder Brothers. We we expect a good story. Actually, you can have garbage visuals, and if it's an amazing story, we'll make we'll put it out there. We'll go out of our way to say, "Hey, this production looks like crap, but man, what a twist!" And, yeah. and, and we'll promote it. We're all about good storytelling here. And if 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 your production just isn't the Lord of the Rings quality that you're hoping for, well, fine. If the story is there, that's going to matter more in the long run because that's what people go back to. There's a reason people are going back to older Star Trek now after watching the current stuff and and are are invested in it because it's good. It's good stories. It's good good stuff. Mm-hmm. And Rende writes in, Gotta love practical effects. Just look at Gandalf's first staff designed to hold a pipe and a glowing crystal but still looks natural. Yeah, I yeah. actually... Someone had mentioned that years ago, and I actually saw him doing it in the movie this time. I noticed it for the first time, and I was like, oh. That's a little bit more costume, I want to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Um, still practical, though. still awesome. Still okay, like- okay, okay. I, well, hold on. John, five or ten years ago, I would agree with that. But they use CG for costumes now, so I'm sorry. Not it's everyone Arende's comment's actually more right now than but I, I don't know if I've seen a lot of CG staffs that I know of, aside from like the uh, Lord of the, not Lord of the Transformers one. But I did have a few other points to jump in on based off of your comments. Um, one of the ones is like, that's probably my all-time favorite thing about Lord of the Rings and the historical through line for me as a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy was that as the cg like i never saw lord of the rings until this one came out extended edition because in my our household like we weren't allowed to see this one because it was so grotesque um my parents were well aware of the effect of movies and nightmares (laughs) uh and so in this as this one is rough i've already recently rewatched these and by recently i mean in the last six months and then watching all three that same like rise of cgi like to me that was their version of escalating power imbalance or escalating power whatever in a in a trilogy and that's what i think movies should be like that's where we're like uh i heard a recent discussion on the night's watch where they talked about um the more money a, a movie makes the more money 
the next movie has to be made and while that's true i think the fallacy in that is that like it has to be different because of the money all that has to really be different is escalating effects escalating expanse you shouldn't have to escalate everything including like the amount of like it shouldn't go from like it like i love fast and furious because it just escalates the power imbalance way too much okay so while i've got a second here i'm gonna jump in the takeover because i've been waiting patiently and here it is when you mentioned the cg effects uh first um, of all first of all hail ah! the nation all right go ahead all right so when you say when you've commented on the the cg effects i'd like to ask your opinion because I have my opinion on this, and I want to know what the panel thinks. What do you think was the worst CG in the first movie versus the best? Now, I'm going to answer for me first, because that's fair. The worst CG to me was where Gollum was in the first movie. I just thought the, the when he shows up in CG in the Mines of Moria, it looks like crap. And the best to me was that Balrog. That thing looked fantastic even on the replay with an honorable mention to the the horsey river you know horsey river magic thunder um quiet quiet baby for a second so i'm gonna jump in here worst for me is the sauron death at the beginning of the movie because as it pulls away from him and his seal door they're in the middle of an open plane but when it zooms in, they're on a hill. Okay. So it just doesn't make any logistical sense. Best, yeah, is the Balrog, 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to agree with the Balrog. I think the worst for me was the armies in the in the opening scene. That was when I noticed right away. I was like, ah, that, that that's... I, but that's just... But that's also where I give a lot of credit for this movie. Because uh, unlike, the, unlike a certain somebody... Done. Uh, he, Jackson used it purposely. He used it to just, to, 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 uh, to, to tell the narrative of massive armory, uh, excuse me, armies of orcs or massive armies of elves and all that such. So he doesn't use it for everything. Unlike the star Wars prequels or anything on the sci-fi channel. Is that still around the sci-fi channel? S-Y-F-Y. I think it's C- uh, yeah, it's Siffy now or something. Yeah, it's yeah. been Siffy for a while. Um, Siffy. But that's and that's that's my point. It's like I'm not saying that you can't have CG effects. And and I mean the thing is though, you're gonna more or less mark for your time. Although at this, I still hold that the 2009 Trek CG is still some of the best ever put to screen. Um, it's it, it and so there's you definitely get what you pay for when you put the money into it. And Marvel's obviously hurting from that because they've managed to piss off all of their favorite VFX people and and have had to settle for what they can get. And so it really shows the difference when you invest the time correctly. And that's what I do appreciate, though, was Jackson was clearly more interested in the miniatures, in the practical stuff, in the force perspectives, in, in all the old camera tricks that still... Like I said, hold up to this day. I remember, I think some years ago, someone was like, oh, you know, all movies are just going to be computer generated. All right, it's not entirely wrong. Some of them are. Uh, <laughs> but Lord of the Rings proves practical effects aren't ever going away. There will never well, not no, so, be a time where you don't use practical effects. So both, so I, I, I think both are do their, 
their appropriate like justice i i think there's there's this one really cool movie on hulu that was made entirely in blender i want to say it was like part of blender's showcase for their newest like uh big update and the way they combined practical effects was they took stuff from like home depot and built piped stuff and then they blended those pipes into scenes around it to make a, a i want to say it was like a cyberpunk world and then they made also a plant-based world like a whole new um prometheus like is a new world and they did that by taking practical effects and rendering them properly into blender and i think that's the big transition and i think that's also like what peter jackson was doing with the practical effects is they put the director in the right headspace it's really hard to see an army of thousands if you see 10 guys in goofy outfits but if you have literally projected in front of you an army of thousands and you can even show the actors like hey man this is why you're laying this way and you can see these guys are all running at you so like that's the situation you're under oh, okay now i can exemplify that stress like that's what practical effects do that's what they did for star wars like a lot of people don't like credit star wars i think appropriately like star uh. wars took the hero's journey and then also took science fiction aliens magic Cl clear clarify clarify what star wars you're referring to please the, the, the idea, the original, like the original 1970s Star Wars took the universe, exploded it, and then simultaneously condensed it into the most known storyline ever, Hero's Journey, King Arthur. And yeah. that was so much explosion. Like it was in and of itself its own big bang in terms of literary ability. Now all of these visual thinkers kids like me kids like you guys we all grew up with this total possibility like there was a time when people didn't think past our atmosphere or past the moon and we're here sitting thinking like what if we had 37 solar systems containing 80 million planets like that's insane and that's what star wars did and that's way bigger than the credit it's usually given like yeah it was a really good story it was fun um the force and jedi i, I guess like a lot of people like when they like when they go to like talk about it to people that don't understand star wars they won't credit that big thing is it exploded the universe for people that needed the universe bigger well one of the things i always heard growing up was that the original star wars um part of the reason it was such a big pop culture icon was because of the practical effects that it used to the extreme that it did. And I mean, I personally prefer watching right, and the that's what trilogy I mean. over, over the, over the sequels and I'm never, or excuse and, me, over the prequels. I'm never watching the sequels again. Um, that's what I intended to convey was like, they used practical effects to show us entirely different worlds. And like, the idea of, uh, of a galaxy far, far away, that was enough to separate us from reality, but also be 100% willing to find out what's going on in this galaxy far, far away. And that was all practical effects. Yeah. Like So there, there was another piece I wanted to bring up because I think we're, we're starting to stray from the path here. I wanted to talk about a little bit about the, the choice of the actors for the members of the Fellowship because I feel like that was a super critical component to these movies 
that they pick the right people for these roles. Right? We have... I'll give you some examples. We have Christopher Lee as Sauron. Christopher Lee knew Tolkien and was a routine friend. and They routinely met up. And there were moments where they... You know, Peter Jackson originally wanted to have Christopher Lee play Gandalf. And Christopher Lee was like, look, I'm getting too old for this. You know, you know who you should pick? That young pup, right? <laughs> McKellen. And, but Christopher Lee consulted on this because he was practically a Tolkien scholar in his own right. Having, you know, heard, you know, J.R.R. go through all this stuff all the damn time, right? So that was kind of cool. They picked Sean Bean as Boromir because they knew he was going to die and who can do a better death scene. Oh, when he came on the screen, I was just like, spoiler alert. That's right. all I think. Every time I see Sean Bean, I'm like, oh, I wonder who's dying at this movie and or show. Right. You have John Reese davis who I would argue is fantastic at playing surly characters and having the surly dwarf played by this man was a perfect choice, right? If he didn't give you dwarf vibes, you weren't going to get them any other way, right? Um, I think Orlando Bloom as Legolas was the really the only outlier I can think of of a person who you wouldn't think to play this character necessarily right out of the box. But he did a fantastic job, right? Um, and then you've got Viggo Mortensen, who I would argue is real-life Aragorn. Oh, absolutely. And I've got things to back this up. For starters, at the end of the filming the, the three movies, he found that he really, really liked his horse, so he bought his horse and took it home with him to his ranch. Right? Um, he insisted on any time somebody wasn't comfortable with whatever method of transport of walking with them to the next site location because he wanted to feel the journey with everyone else. And while he was doing that, he'd occasionally run off and fish or run off and hunt and bring back and eat or kill whatever he had gotten. He randomly would do things like, oh, I've got a rip in my, you know, my costume, hold on, and went and got a sewing needle and just did it himself, right? Um... You know, he was living that he was living that ranger life about as hard as you can do without actually being a medieval ranger dealing with hobbits, elves, and dwarves. Um, the man was just fantastic. At one point, apparently, during one of the fight scenes, he broke an um a bone in his foot, but didn't want to tell anyone because he was worried it'd delay the film, so he just went through it. There's another great scene in this movie. You know when he's fighting the big Urukai near the end? And the Urukai throws a dagger at him and he just bats the thing out of the way with his sword? Fun fact the guy who was playing the Urukai was supposed to not throw the dagger directly at Vigo. He was supposed to aim way off to the side and they would fix it in post. But the guy was so into the role, he accidentally threw it directly at Vigo, and Vigo still batted it out of the way without any problem. And just kept the scene going as if it was no big deal. He almost got stabbed in the face with a flying dagger. That is how badass this individual is. 
Yeah. Well, and to add to that, Arende uh, wrote earlier, says, A cool thing about the CGI they used for the orc armies, the pathing of the orcs in the back would bug and set them running the opposite way. They realized it made sense. Deserters in the back, so they left it. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it's so many cool things about this movie that just kind of happened, like, the way yeah. that they did. Like, yeah, getting a dagger thrown at you and actually having to deflect it and then them just, you know, I mean, I mean, what, <laughs> what was going through Jackson's mind when that happened? He's just like, uh, uh cut, I guess uh, we got it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> almost lost our star, but that's for one of our many stars, I should say, but that's eh, no big deal. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I love, I love hearing stories like that because that's that's what really makes the movie more alive. Is is the stuff that's unplanned that just kind of, that the that the universe just kind of adds uh, to enhance the experience. And so, yeah, no, that that's, uh, I agree. Viggo Mortensen is is definitely Aragorn. Um, and and all the all the roles were cast so perfectly. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I do not even having read the book. I feel like if I did, I would probably just you know be imagining these characters at that point because I mean, yeah. So yeah, and and there there are other things that you're going to notice when you read through the books. Um, there are char- there are a couple of characters that were completely cut from the books that did not make the movie. Um, primarily because you know when Tolkien was writing this um, the only way I can describe it is if you were to remove the actual like war from this it really reads like a hobbit's food blog as he's backpacking through Europe or something um, you know we go into like side stuff about like the history of you know a bar for example that you know really doesn't need to be in the movie but it adds flavor to the world um, you know, people have argued that the character of Tom Bombadil in the books, um, you know, some people missed him, but the truth of the matter is he doesn't really add to the plot. He's just a fun side character with some fun side story shenanigans going on. So, you know, I think they did everything they could right. That's the kind of thing I love about this movie is, you know even to just sit down and figure out how you're going to take, you know, the first book, which really could be a six hour movie with on its own without too much of a problem and condense it down to something that the human bladder can survive, uh, you know, is one monumental task. Yeah. And even then with the special editions, they had to put in an intermission simply because the human bladder cannot survive the extended editions without at least one bathroom break. Um, yeah, so I'm actually putting a link to our Facebook Live in the chat right now. For those of you that are watching, uh, apparently we've, YouTube is experiencing some outage issues, so if the video sounds or looks like crap, um, there's the uh, uh, alternate link to the Facebook. Blame Mama and then, Susan. And then, John, Blame if you want to toss the Twitch in there, if, that, if people would prefer to watch on Twitch instead of Facebook. Uh, oh. Well, that's not good. For some reason, oh, my video happened? is only going to friends only. That's not supposed to be set that way. I don't know why it did that. I'll have to double check settings. So, John, please throw the Twitch link in there when you get a chance. Um, 
yeah, so we do simulcast for a reason. This is one of them because, uh, unfortunately, websites can't constantly be relied on for function as, of course, our resident IT witch would know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why, why aren't you doing anything about the gremlins, buddy? Come on. Why? Because, well, did you see last uh, Sunday's episode of my show? It tells you exactly why I'm not doing anything about the gremlins. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Uh, how could I forget? Duh. That's, uh, I didn't watch yet. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so it's been a busy week. I watched Super Quest. Saying. Okay, fair enough. I got you. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, no, I do try to watch and at least give my like and, and whatnot. It's just uh, bad. I needed a day I, off. I know, and I'm, I'm only teasing. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it, it really shows how, like I said, um, practical effects are going to be around if you really want to, uh, if you really want your movie to stand out, especially this day and age when literally everything is just CG vomit, it feels like. Um, I mean, you can never go wrong with trying practical stuff. And it's almost, it feels like a lost art this day and age, but I think I think it's definitely due for a comeback. And I think it's due to to stay. I actually kind of found the, the horse CGI I did personally kind of feel was a little bit more dated, but like I said, not... I had already noticed the orc armies by then, so my mind was already, all right, yeah, the, C- the CG representations are what they are. And uh, like I said, the, the effects that matter the most where all most of the plot happens, those are still good. And, yeah. and that's the other thing, too, is the fight in this movie is unique compared to the rest of the trilogy because we don't really get a fight scene that's mostly real like this. The rest of the time, next up we have Helm's Deep, which is kind of a CG army being thrown at a CG wall. And then we have Minas Tirith, which is just CG armies galore. There's reason for it. I mean, in the book it was kind of necessary. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just... Well, I, I would even argue that the stakes are very different in this movie. Um... I mean, yes, we all love the the battles inside the Mines of Moria and whatnot, but I felt like the most suspenseful battle, if you can even really call it that, in this was them getting out of the Shire while being chased down by the Ringwraiths and them just trying to get to the ferry bridge to get across. Yeah. And that monumental jump Frodo has to make to try to get onto that ferry as it's leaving, I think speaks more volumes to the stakes and the 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 tension in that scene feels way more viable and valuable than a lot of the other stuff that we see in most cinema today. Yeah, I would I would go so far as to say this isn't a, a hero's journey story so much as it is a coming of age story. Uh, Frodo is finally being given an excuse greater than himself. And same with Mary Pippin and Sam, an excuse bigger than their own individual wants, needs, desires, calls for safety. And they are challenged to be men about it, to be adults, to be bigger than the fears that are coming. Because I I really like the way you say that. Because it is a hero's journey. But the hero is Sam, not Frodo. Well, 
We're going to let you chew on that, John. I, I, I do have a fan mail. Uh, Michael Gabanik, who provides the music, uh, the background track for this uh, for this production, as well as our pre-show jams, has chimed in. Lord of the Rings with an exclamation point. Welcome, Michael. Glad to have you on the... Uh, glad to have you watching. Glad you're here, man. Uh, check out the Hungarians. I'll post a link next stream. Uh... <laughs> You're going to take Arende's and then Arend- as well. Yeah, Arende also writes in, says, I would love to see something like the Mines of Moria at the height of the Dwarf Kingdom in real life. The architecture Jackson used is so beautiful. Yes, I, I, I agree. Location shoots and set shoots in this movie were just... Yeah. Right, but back to the, the, the two thoughts. So the Sam's hero's journey, I don't think it is Sam's hero's journey. I... I, I I really do think it is a coming of age story, and I think Sam represents the boy who grew up an adult. Um, Sam never once wavered why he was there. He he joined the fellowship from the jump because he was there for his friend Frodo, oh, and that no, was no, no. it. And he, like, like he he had fiduciary connections right contractual obligations as his gardener but in reality sam was there because he always knew that his job for frodo was to be the caring friend that carried frodo when frodo couldn't carry himself okay oh hold on let me break it down for you because i've got it right here ready to go because i knew you would do this and i was prepared for you this time i'm activating my trap card here. i love it that's the whole point so Sam definitely gets the call to adventure. We can all agree on that. We don't have to belabor that. The refusal of the call was when he's pulled in by Gandalf and he says, don't turn me into anything unnatural. He was afraid right there. We have it. The supernatural aid is, of course, Gandalf. The crossing of the threshold, I would argue, is when he gets to that point where this is the farthest I have ever gone from home. And the belly of the whale is the uh, our, our moment here when they get to Rivendale and he's decided to now go on for the full adventure um, once they hit Rivendale. Okay, um, so I would say the Rivendale, once they hit Rivendale, is the call. I would say... Okay. Or not the call, but the, the chance to return. Cause okay, right or the refusal. Rivendale. Yeah. the refusal um i would say the mentor if you are going to if we are going to play the hero's journey card for sam the mentor is uh gladriel the good one the one that actually represents a queen versus okay. whatever amazon paid for and then <laughs> the uh whale is moria yeah um, okay because it Frodo gives tracks. him an out. Right. But I would also say that you could track that for Merry and Pippin and Frodo. And that's why I say it's a coming of age story. Is because a coming of age story is a squad. It's right. a group of young growing okay. to adulthood. So together reason... and against each other. So the reason so why it, I didn't I would get say into... It's four separate heroes' journeys. Because each hobbit does be a hero of a people at some point throughout the journey. Okay. Sims is just the first of the four, and Frodo's is the most through of the four. Merry and Pippin get two and three. Okay. So the reason why I'm I, I did that is because 
there is specifically in the second set of Campbell's version of the hero's journey is the meeting with the goddess, which I would equate with Galadriel. Um, mm. Woman as temptress, we get with Sam, but it's slightly different because instead of woman as temptress, we get Shelob, right? Because at that Shelob point, wouldn't I would if you're going to say woman of temptress, it's uh, Smeagol. Well, yeah, because these, right. Like, like we do have to acknowledge that Tolkien took the time to write only about men because he said he never could write about the mysteries of women. Yeah, well, so all of his yeah. characters are men because he didn't want to disrespect women. Yeah, and so yeah, Smeagol would be the temptress. Yeah, the atonement with the father, I would argue, is there is a scene where um, Sam says to to Frodo, "Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee," and I, I, you know, I made a promise and I'm going to stick with it. That to me is the atonement, the apotheosis. Gandalf, is when, yeah, right. Because Gandalf's the one that made him make that promise. Exactly. Um, apotheosis, where, you know, he kind of rises to the challenge, I would argue, is when Frodo goes down. The ultimate point, I would of course, say that was Shelob. Yeah, okay. Um, because Sam Sam navigated the same darkness that Frodo navigated, but Sam didn't have the light. And then he still fought off Shelob. Right. The like, ultimate that's boon, a terrible abyss. Yeah, the ultimate boon, of course, is obviously getting Frodo back and the ring, of course, right? Uh, the refusal of the return, because remember, these don't have to be done specifically in this order. Um, right. The refusal of the return, um, I would argue, is is where we had that one moment when they were in Gondor and they were like, well, wait a minute, maybe we can get some aid here and we don't have to do this alone. The magic you know, that flight was before the abyss. The, right. the refusal of return is when Frodo finally fires him. Is officially like, get out! I hate yeah, you. Yeah, we can do that too. Um, the magic flight. I mean, dude, eagles, right? Um, rescue Jeez. from without. I mean, yeah. Sam basically does the rescue do that. from without was catching Frodo. Yeah. Um, the, like he was going over that cliff too. There were no OSHA safety guardrails. Right. That that volcano so jumping in and just grabbing yep uh the crossing that, of the return uh threshold i mean that is quite literally i would say that was Moria. the bed chamber with okay. the, the return threshold yeah i would say that's after the flight because that's when yeah, yeah, he like that's where sam decides am i now um, a man's man who's gonna leave forever on his way well the master of the two worlds i would argue is he's he's now come back a warrior and he's a father and and a farmer, right? Well, and yeah, so that's to where live... I say the that's where I yeah. say the question of return is when he gets to uh, Rivendell again at the very end of the flight, and like now he's we don't see it, but Head Cannon tells us that he had to decide whether or not he was going back to the Shire or if he was going to be the adventuring, the new uh, Bilbo, right? Because yeah. he had all of this journey, and so in that yeah. instance, he was like, "No, I'm going back for the next greatest adventure, true love." And so, I mean, he hits every one of those points, but not everyone does. And that's my point, is mm. every one of the characters has a moment in the hero's journey other than Sam where they fail on the journey in some fashion. So 
in this instance, I, I would still go back to this being a coming of age story because Sam represents the noble warrior. He's the one who maintained honor from start to finish despite all adversity and still became the hero of the squad. Like, like the only people that know how much Sam didn't complain didn't struggle like when you look at Jeff Bezos you can obviously say like no that guy probably complained every day until he came up with his billion dollar idea but when yeah, you look no, at like, Sam only his friends will tell you like no this dude actually like kept his nose to the grindstone was respectful loving caring sacrificial like every mark of a hero when people call him a hero they're understating his sacrifice oh yeah no and, like and, he 100% is the MVP of the fellowship and I think that's the, the, the coming of age, though, is Frodo found the darkness of everything and has to live with that for the rest of his life. Sam watched his friend deal with that mm-hmm. and still decided to be better than what that made his friend. And that, like, without everybody in the, the four starting here in the fellowship of the ring if the four of them hadn't all gone together we wouldn't see the solid juxtaposition between the four because like we would have the opposites right we'd be like sam's the good guy frodo's the dick but then if you have mary and pippin in there you can combine the full four axes and be like no they're all different sides of different spectrums and that's why each one is necessary to the whole group and that's why i say it's a coming of age story because every member is more important than the hero while simultaneously the hero even if it's sam is still like important yeah i mean this is one of the ones where all the characters matter yeah i mean my argument really at the end of the day boils down to this as to why in my opinion sam is absolutely the hero of this story and and it's really this out of every single character who winds up physically holding the ring. Sam is the only one who ends up willingly giving it up. Two parts to that. I'm finally ready. I've been rating. This is my chance. I I mean, obviously, I'm going to really bring it up on the third ring. But this is the episode that makes it count. People say that the ring doesn't have transitive properties in terms of like why doesn't sam have an issue carrying frodo into moria and let me tell you why you mean mordor definitely or into mordor right when when sam is lugging him up the hill he's struggling in his like most limited clothes like if they had been willing he probably would have been shirtless like trying to hulk this guy up as best he could and he was stumbling the whole time but at the very end of the fellowship of the ring frodo who's been bearing the ring this whole time is being weighed down by it plucks sam out of the water and into the boat while sam is wearing full pots and pans full backpack full kit Mm -hmm. so that means that these hobbits don't weigh anything because if that's like if Sam was if if weighed down tired Frodo plucked Sam in full kit well no. into the boat uh, plucked him into the boat d- d- dragging somebody wearing all of their hiking gear 
in full garb with you know clothes on and like a cloak that's a long drag up yes it is no matter what and frodo did it so when sam is lugging frodo up that mountain who should be weighing skin and bones because he hasn't been eating he's been carrying the ring he's basically a meth addict and sam is barely crawling up mordor that's the transitive property because Sam also lugged those pots and pans all the way through till they took them off right before that scene. <laughs> so, like, the fact that... That's my gripe, is people say that the transit of property didn't apply to Sam. But that goes to show... No, like, it absolutely they did. missed that that scene in and of itself was Sam's St. Christopher moment. The right. weight of the world was weighing him down. And, like... I feel like people don't give Jackson credit for nailing that because there is so much setup where Sam is so used to carrying heavy human weight or hobbit weight level gear. And then in that scene, Sam is like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an idea certainly. And, and I mean, we won't have time to get too deep into it tonight, but that's okay. We have a whole two more movies to discuss about this. Um, you also got to consider the other factors at play here. The first one being that the ring is closer to the volcano. So it's probably weighing on Frodo down. So you might be right in that instance that there is that transitiveness to it, but there's also the proximity. But you also got to consider too, they're climbing a volcano that's active, that's erupting. There's not a whole lot of breathable air in the vicinity. I think people say that like that scene shows that Sam like wasn't weighed down because he did carry Frodo and I'm saying no they gave substantial setup to in that instance Sam was somehow carrying the weight of the world as he was climbing that hill because for the first time Sam is actually breathing heavy sure like, he's slower but he's always steady he's always like I'm here I'm cooking potatoes I'm and, and he's he's carrying around the extra pots pans potatoes food all of his clothes he did not go on a journey unprepared like he is legit the most ready for this adventure and nobody gave him credit for that but then by this scene he is suddenly weighed down if anything he should have schwarzeneggered frodo over that hill with all of that practice like yeah he should have been wheezing because of the oxygen but this dude was bulking the whole journey. Well, I, I am gonna say this: I don't think I'm Frodo. ready to. Yeah, like I don't think I'm ready to see Jacked Samwise Gamgee. Like, I, I not just, yet. I well, can't actually, imagine a Hobbit with a six pack right now. Like, I don't know. I, you know, uh, have you seen Fifty First Dates? <laughs> we we could also we could also yeah. I mean, you know what? Lord of the Rings or Amazon could decide to do a sequel to Lord of the Rings, and and you know we find out that the Hobbits are all into CrossFit. Anyway, hail Nemesis of Eden. Thanks for checking in. Uh, she writes in that uh, hope you're all doing well. Just uh, in for a few minutes on my break. Well, glad you decided to spend your break with us um as always no we do appreciate the support uh, that we get from and, from our fans and remember popping in on your break to see us does prove you are a cultured and reasonable individual so way to go i i yeah i concur uh, clearly we're saying something right to to have you spend valuable break time with us um i mean not even just break time well, Arende spends his whole day here his whole evening here which is what we want 
We want this place to be your pop culture lounge where we hang out and discuss and we try to include you in the conversation as best as we can. Um, Not looking forward to the day when we have eight gajillion live viewers and we have to just randomly pick chats. But hey, you know what? (laughs) The rate we're going, that's not something we have to worry about for a while, thankfully. Um, No, it... it, it, I think you bring up some interesting points to back up the the transcend yeah the transcendence of of the ring of power. I think that is a decent argument overall. But like I said, I think there's still other factors at play. I mean, yes, Sam was was lugging all that gear, but let's also realize he was walking with all the gear. There's only a couple of instances where he's actually running with it. So to condition to carry Frodo up Bro, the mountain, he climbed to Shelob. That was like. Oh. That was the, like the Empire State Building, but rocks. Like that was uh, Mission Impossible Two. Tom Cruise scaling that vertical cliff. There were many points. He went down his elven rope with all that gear. Yeah. Uh, Nemesis of Eden says uh, correction. He, although I can understand the hair throw you off. Uh, also follows up it is i really enjoy the Ryder brothers content plus you chat game is amazing well thank you i appreciate that and yes the the hair in your profile pic really did throw me off so i i am i'm sorry about that um but thanks for the correcting and not making a big deal out of it um yeah 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 no we got we got the best fans so far um yeah i i tend to think we have the best fan community in existence yeah um, no and no, you, you know the best great. thing uh you know, and the great thing is too, when people show up, they actually become better people by hanging out with us. So, you know, I'm not going to go that far yet. Um, but we are trying. <laughs> we are trying. We are trying to help make things a, a, a better place. Uh, Nemesis says, "No worries, Petey. Thank you. Thank you. I do appreciate it." Um, yeah, it, like, is Lord of the Rings timeless? Yes, it's. But that's also what I love about the use of the CG. Is like I said, it gives the film some wrinkles. But it's also like a peer, a piece of its time. I mean, in 20 years, people will still look back on this movie and go, wow, because of how well the rest of it just holds up perfectly. And yet it'll have that constant callback to the best CG of its era. And so I think yeah. that's well, really and that's cool. where that's where I bring up. And that's why I brought it up at the beginning is like there's an escalation of CG. This movie got progressively better. The, the trilogy gets progressively better in the CG, so rewatching it is like a walk through time in and of itself. Just like, like you said, it does set your mark. Your CG tells you where you were at that time, and this series is one of those ones that maintained the through line, the end goal, despite crowd hype, despite you know, uh, bringing in your think tanks, bringing in your your focus groups, and finding out what the crowds love. All of it, they 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 went through it. They did that, like that was the height of that culture, as it you know continued to escalate. And yet, the only thing that you see is a scale of progression in CG, a scale of progression in the total size of Middle Earth. But you don't see this aggressive change and shift with 2006, 2012. Yep. You know. Yeah, yeah, and we'll. Yeah, of course... I would actually argue. Oh, I would actually argue that this movie has one thing in common with the... Do you remember the really old version of Journey to the Center of the Earth? I mean, the claymation is obvious and cheesy as hell, but 
because of the plot, it's still timeless, and you sit there and you're willing to let the cheesy claymation go because you're so wrapped up in the story. Uh, Nemesis of Eden writes in, I'm back to the Gulag. Stay amazing, you wise and beautiful people. Well, you as well, and uh, don't work too hard. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to the continuing discussion next week with my personal favorite, The Two Towers, and then, of course, uh, when we conclude, uh, sadly, um, at near the closer to the end of the month, and then, of course, the week after that, we have our Christmas Cringe special, which I'm looking forward to. But, uh, anyway, if you follow this show, you know that uh, how we treat death is just as important as how we treat life and unfortunately some news was uh brought to us and i mean for me this is quite the kick in the balls um yeah percy alley most known for to me anyway uh playing lieutenant savick in star trek to the wrath of khan uh passed away due to a quick onset and well they said it was a battle with cancer i i would kind of equate it to more of a slaughter with how quickly that went. Um, I've seen people battle cancer. She kind of got a... On the, on the upside, though, having lost someone to cancer myself, I can say that it's a little easier when it's quick because then there's not a whole lot of time to have to worry about grieving and thinking about things that you just can't prepare for until... And, that, and this is the one thing I want to bring up when I, when I do these memorials, guys, is if you are somebody who has a loved one or is going through that... Make every moment that you can count um, because you're not going to get another moment like that. You, you, I mean, we get this life, whether you believe there's an afterlife or not, this existence as we perceive it and experience it is one time. Um, even if there's do-overs, reincarnation doesn't matter. It, I like to equate this life existence to watching your favorite movie for the first time. Those feelings that you had... Those, those moments, that, that those twists, those turns that you experienced, you'll never experience that again. You'll experience the nostalgia. You'll, you'll, you'll re-feel kind of those feelings on re-watch through, re-watches of your favorite movies, but you're never going to have that first viewing experience ever again. Unless you have amnesia, but then arguably, that, that's... Come on. The point is, this life is precious, and... Regardless of how you might feel about someone's personal opinions on things, hers was just as much, her, her life mattered just as much as the, as the rest of us. And I've heard nothing but good things about Kirstie Alley. And, uh, and, uh, let's see, Arende writes in, says, my mom had brain cancer for three years. That was unpleasant. Any other organ yep. doesn't affect in the same way. Yeah, um, John and I's mother, melanoma, uh, that she battled on and off for four years. And honestly, my biggest regret in all of that was all the time wasted uh, that I spent trying to prepare myself for something that you cannot prepare for. There's no preparation for when someone's gone. When someone dies, it's a new life. It's a new reality. Um, I would say, unfortunately, there is one preparation, but it's one of the most, like, simple ones we learn as children, and that is being left alone. And as much as that feeling sucked when you were a child and you felt like you couldn't contact or couldn't reach the person you loved, well, that's now permanent. Yeah. It's never, like, it's never going to be better than that. It's never going to be good enough. It's never going to be good. I I always tell people you're not going to get over it or through it. You're going to get different. Yeah, that's pretty much a a very... You're now operating with a negative in your life. 
there's a negative one. One person you wanted to see you, reach out to you, someone you wanted to reach out to or be able to reach to is now negative one. They're never there. And they were there. So they, they're not zero because zero means that you didn't know that they were there. They're negative one because you can't. Well, and the you thing I've... remember their existence. Right. And the thing I've learned about all of this through all these different losses, whether they were personal ones to me or whether this is, is you know, that, that pain you feel is actually a good thing because that's your proof of how real your relationship was. That person made such an impact in your life that, that, they, that, that it causes you to feel a, a way that, that makes you anguish for a moment because, yeah, they're, they're gone for this existence. They're gone forever. But they obviously meant something. And that connection, that love that you felt was there. It was real. And, you know, yeah, I, I really am, am sad that, that, you know, she passed away because I I mean, for me personally, my, my finish line goal is 80 and then everything else is bonus years for me. And so she unfortunately died at 71 and, it, and from what I could tell and aged very gracefully compared to a lot of others, I mean, she probably could have shown up in a couple more movies. Um, and so that's also what's sad is, is we won't get to see that now. Um, but uh, I think I've said enough on the matter. So Corey, yeah, on, why I mean, don't you go ahead? To, to me, the, the reason why we feel pain when we lose somebody is because we've if we didn't value them, we wouldn't care. But because we care, that's why it hurts. And honestly, that's what I feel with uh, when it comes to Christy Alley. Because, look, I mean, we all... You know, I watched her initially in Cheers because that's what my family had on. And, you know, you realize that, like, some of these people are fantastic actors and actresses. And then you get to know them, and sometimes you're really disappointed in what kind of human being they are. That wasn't the case with Christy Alley. I mean, her and I had wildly different viewpoints on things, but she she would discuss them in a respectful way. She's kind of the, almost the patron saint of restoring respect in the discourse. Why? Well, go figure I find out about this now. This is Kevin Conroy all over again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, find out hey, how great man. they are and all the good stuff they did. Oh, why do why do I have to find out about this when they die? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't but think you actually did find out about it when they die. I think this is a testament to you being a great judge of character from afar. Like, yeah, like your you your favorites that you keep losing keep turning out to be people worth having favorites. But it yeah. sounds like, Corion, you actually had some uh, interactions? Um, I did. I actually ran into her when she was filming some stuff in Toronto. Um it's what happens when you're a nerdy guy who hangs out in bars and realizes, wait a minute, that's Christy Alley. I'm going to go say hi. Right. And yeah, she's just a super pleasant individual. Um, like I said, she had some different views on, on some of the stuff that I have, but she was able to discuss them in a respectful manner. And that's always like a huge deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can, she even had the attitude of, look, you can disagree with me, but have your facts ready to go when you're going to step into the verbal ring with me. 
And I absolutely respect the heck out of that. That is the attitude of somebody who gets it. And that is how I think, you know, we all should try to live up to, right? And let's, you know, I mean, look, did she go through kind of a dark section of her life? Yeah, she had a cocaine problem and it took her a lot of work to get over it. But you know what? She did get over it. And that takes a hell of a lot of work. anybody who ever has a cocaine problem. Oh, yeah. Like, it's drugs. They're hard to deal with. Like, I've never heard Wait, wait, wait. Hard drugs are hard? I was just vibing on (laughs) drugs. Exactly. Well, what I was saying, though, is, like, it takes a tremendous amount of willpower. An absolutely tremendous amount of willpower. Absolutely. To not to dig yourself out of that hole, even with help. So anybody, as far as I'm concerned, who can do that is in that like top tier of like iron willed individuals. So, I mean, that's another reason why to, to love on her. And I mean, beyond the obvious of look, she's just straight up gorgeous. Right. And she always has been, even when she went through her, like big actress, shall we say, uh, phase. Wait, 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 struggle. Yeah, because okay. even that's another um, thing that she managed to overcome, even in just recent years, was when she dropped. I yeah. mean, the 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 picture that I have all the way on the left of the frame there that that's yep. like that was taken like right after she had she had managed to lose fifty pounds over. I think it was uh, I forgot how long it took, but it was even that. And I mean, to to be at that stage in life and still dedicated to taking care of yourself to that point, I mean, that's just awesome. That's how I'm yeah. trying to be now, so I don't have to later. So even I understand that, yeah, the cocaine overcome, yeah, that's hard. Because especially if you have that addictive personality, like, I agree, Corey, on the, the people who, as long as you didn't kill anyone while you were on drugs, absolutely. I'll put a medal around your 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 neck for that. And and then on top of that, she tried to stay healthy even afterward, even later. And I, I get it. I, I try to just stick to water and eating one meal a day, and that's hard at times. But well, I think that, that that's a testament to, like you said, her hard drugs are hard. And, and, yep. and food is in and of itself, like, a necessary drug. Like, some of it tastes better than others. The like, best of it's the, best of it's like, the most addicting. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like whether it's sugar, sweets, like your favorite drinks, like any of that stuff, it, it gets to you and it and it fights you. And I think that like the goal in life is not to be perfect; it's to be good enough to say I tried today. Yeah. I, I put myself better, and 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 that I think is like why, especially drugs like cocaine and and, and a lot of them are like they feel good enough. They feel like, well, I earned enough to get my drugs, so I'm good enough. And that, and that's why that fight's so hard is because, like, technically you're right, but, like, maybe you should start holding yourself to a higher standard than drugs are good enough. <laughs> and, and, and obviously this woman is somebody who was able to do that. And, and she's proof that it's not easy. So if you think no. you're struggling with it, so is everyone else. Part of the like, that's part okay. of the, that's part of the that's journey. The yeah, good enough struggle. But that's what I mean by good enough is like if you think you're struggling, then that means you're doing it right. You're pushing yourself to be better. You know what higher looks like, and you're just not there today, and that's okay. Try again tomorrow. That's it. And you know, she she put in her time. She did a hell of a lot of work on on herself. And being a working actress in Hollywood is not an easy gig at all. 
but she always managed to find work when she needed it or wanted it. She's one of those rare people that can do comedy really well and drama really well. She was a fantastic lady, and we are diminished by her loss. And, you know, um, but what I hope is, for anybody watching, is take a look at her life. Take a look at all the stuff she, she dealt with and overcame. And let it inspire you to do the same. Right? Let her legacy be the monument that while your goal may be perfection, the most important part of it is at least progression towards the goal. It, you don't actually have to reach it, but you do have to try every day to go, you know what? I'm going to try to progress to that goal. And I think that's what she epitomizes, and that's why I think, you know, guys, consider her a role model. Give it a try. Yeah, no, no. Well well said, Corion, and, and, and oh, go ahead. A modern-day role model. Like, <laughs> so much of life seems to be looking back at Hercules and the ancients for for ideals of goodness. But, like, somebody surviving the hardest parts of life to be taken by the one thing that's uncontrollable. Like, cancer is... Well, it's cancer on this world. And that's what got her. All these other struggles she suffered she survived she pushed through she tried again tomorrow and the thing that she couldn't beat was the thing that very few people can beat so like darn and and, and as much as the loss hurts i'm not trying to lower that but what i mean is as no, a hero I... goes like that's a hero's death in modern society because we don't want our heroes being killers anymore yeah no we I... want our heroes being noble members of society and then she died a noble death because the thing that killed her was life, cancer. A, a, a manifestation or a mutation of life. And if, if that's the one thing that gets you, like that means you did pretty much everything good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And and when I say how we treat death is just as important as how we treat life, like I mean that to I mean to take that to task a hundred percent literally. Like it of course we're gonna make jokes and so we're gonna have fun. And we're going to still laugh and we're going to cry and we're going to be sad. And we're going to be, you know, because that's what the phrase means. Um, and of course, some people don't agree and that's fine. I get it. My brand of existence isn't for everyone and that's fine. Um, but anyway, we'd like to but go that's ahead. That's why we host a show where those that agree are welcome to Exactly. Join us we're still finding our audience. Our those on the things we think are fun. Those awesome people We're not like talking about suffering all day every day. Yeah, those awesome people like Nemesis of Eden, Arende, Galinda, and uh, Skoglyoten, who all popped in. Orville Thank Nation. you all, Orville Nation. Even Orville Nation showed up and said hi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Maria with Tina Telly, mm -hmm. wherever you're at, we miss you. We hope to have you on the show Love someday. And, and we hope uh, you're feeling better too. Yeah, no shit. Um, but uh, oh, nice try, bot. Not today. Anyway, um... Sorry, guys. No hot girl picks for you. We deleted them. I'd use God, three in a row. Man, they are really just playing games. Hey, you know you're doing great when you need the bots. Anyway, we want to thank everybody, especially our podcast listeners and all of our fans and everybody. You guys are helping to make uh, this show more than what it is, and we do love talking about this, not just amongst ourselves, but also watching along with you guys. And uh, hopefully we can get some better scheduling done soon. 
Um, and we'd love hosting these watch-alongs. So if you guys have a series you want us to watch along with, please. We'll give it a try. Forward. We gave yeah. that Halo series at least one episode, so we're not above trying. Uh, just know that if it goes over like the Halo series for us, uh, we'll see. We're not going to berate you for pitching it because everybody no. likes what they like. But N- we no, are going to destroy the media. And I, I might send you anyway, the bill. I'm Peter York from Ryder Brothers. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of the Ryder Brothers Tuesday Night Live. The Ryder Brothers, restoring respect into discourse.